I want you to take God's word with me this evening and turn to Matthew chapter 13, if you would. I had intended to preach on another text, but on the way here this evening, the Lord gave us an extended time in the car on the way here because of the traffic. And I believe he'd have us look at this text tonight, Matthew 13. The Lord Jesus taught many truths by way of parables. And parables were earthly stories, as you know, with heavenly meanings. And he gave a series of parables known as the kingdom parables. They help us understand more about his kingdom. Now that had to be done because the kingdom of our Lord and of our Christ is very different from the kingdoms of this world. And he knew that we would be tempted to look at his kingdom through the eyes of worldly kingdoms. Was it not the case with his disciples? They always were thinking that Jesus was about to become an earthly ruler, a military ruler, and that he would bring about an earthly kingdom by force, taking control over the Romans. This was their mindset. They had the idea of an earthly kingdom. They thought that his kingdom was going to be similar to some sort of an earthly military kind of a kingdom. And so Christ was teaching lessons so that we might learn something more about his kingdom. And the first parable that we read in Matthew chapter 13 uh, is, is about the sower. The sower went forth to sow. You know the story. And Jesus talks about how he is the sower. In fact, anyone who preaches the word, the the word is the seed. And anytime the word is preached, then the sower is sowing seed. And the seed will fall on four different kinds of ground. Do you remember the parable? So the truth is, even tonight, in this little chapel, there are four different kinds of listeners, hearers. There's the the wayside listener. That's the, the footpath that ran oftentimes to the middle of a field or on the edge of a field, and that was where the workers would often trod and walk. And, and sometimes as the farmer would sow the seed, some seed would fall without, without a doubt upon the wayside. And because the ground was so hard that before the seed could barely hit the ground, the birds of the air came, swept down, and snatched it away because the seed had nowhere to go. It sat very vulnerably on the surface. And Jesus said, that's the kind of person that hears the word. They have no understanding of the word, really no interest of the word. And before they ever walk out of a meeting, it's gone. Because their heart is hard. It might be you tonight. The second kind of a ground that Jesus speaks of was the stony ground. And that's the kind of a ground that looks like good ground. It has a couple of inches of soil on the top, but underneath the soil is stones. And so when the seed falls on that ground, it enters into the ground, that couple of inches of soil, and it looks pretty good. And in fact, very soon, very quickly, it shoots up. And it looks like that that seed has fallen on good ground. And everybody stands by and says, my, look how quick it's growing. While they have received the word with gladness, Quickly, immediately, they heard the gospel, walked the aisle, said a prayer, and away with them. Now they're off like a rocket. And everybody says, my, look at him. But Jesus said, when the sun arises, it is scorched, hath no root, 
nor depth or deepness of root. And the problem is because there's stones underneath that soil, all of the energy that should have been into driving its roots into the ground, because it couldn't drive its roots into the ground, all the energy and effort went on the surface. It was all surface level only. And Jesus said that that sun that rises is the sun of persecution, of affliction, of tribulation. The same kind of a sun that must rise every single day will arise upon the hearts of every listener of the word. You can't avoid it. You cannot think that you can get through life without having troubles. And the interesting thing is, the one thing that plants need if they're going to thrive, if they're going to grow, is a bit of sunlight. Rain and sunlight, we understand that. And the one thing that should make a seed grow is sunlight. But because it's on rocky ground, the one thing that should make it grow actually makes it die. And so it is in the spiritual world. The one thing that makes a Christian grow is tribulation and difficulty. And trials. Nobody likes them, but that's exactly how we grow. James talks about that. Count it all joy, brethren, when you fall into divers temptations, knowing that the trying of your faith worketh patience. It's a gift from God. But because there's no root, and it's all surface level only, those trials and difficulties, Jesus says when persecution arises because of the word, things start to get tough. They're out of here. That's the second kind of a listener. Maybe that's you tonight. The third listener was where the seed fell amongst thorns. And here was a ground that had, that had looked like it was ready and it looked like it had been tilled up. But the problem was nobody went through and took out all of the, all of the thorns. And so the seed of the gospel was allowed to grow up next to thorns. And the Bible says in just a matter of time, the thorns choked out the good seed. There are many people like that today. They hear the word of God, they agree to it, they acknowledge in their heart and in their mind they, that it is right. But the problem is because they have not repented and turned away from sins and because they have not been willing to say, I choose Christ alone, they have decided they may keep some of the things of the world. And they think that they can have the world and have Jesus in the same heart and it cannot happen because man cannot serve two masters. And in just a little while, that thorn, give it enough time, the thorns grow up alongside of the gospel and choke it out. Jesus said the thorns were the thorn, the deceitfulness of riches, the lust of other things, the cares of this world. Those are the thorns that choke out the gospel. Is that you tonight? But there is good ground. The good ground, some seed fell amongst good ground. He that heareth the word understandeth it, which also the scriptures say beareth fruit. The good ground listener is the one who doesn't just acknowledge with their head that these things are intellectually true, but they receive the truth. They've heard the truth, they receive the truth, the truth is received into the heart of that listener and it begins to bear fruit, giving evidence that that ground was actually prepared and ready. Like a farmer who took a plow and broken up the fallow ground, unlike the wayside, the ground was soft, tender. The farmer had gone through and removed the rocks and the weeds and the thorns so that when the seed was planted, it had room to grow and roots to go. And that's the evidence of a good ground listener. 
And right off of the back of that parable, we come to verse 24 of Matthew 13. Another parable put he forth unto them. The Lord Jesus would oftentimes, we gather from looking at the gospel records, he would go from one parable to the next, trying to drive home a particular point, trying to make his point when speaking to these disciples and followers. And so he enters right into the next parable. The kingdom of heaven is likened unto a man which sowed good seed in his field. That sounds very much like the last parable. Someone sowing seed, and it's good seed. By the way, the gospel is good seed. There's nothing wrong with the message. The message does not need to change. There's a problem in the world today. Churches are changing the message to make it more palatable. They're changing the message of the gospel because they want it to be less offensive to the listeners. But there's nothing wrong with the seed. We don't need a hybrid of the seed. We don't need new seed. We've got it. It's good. Just sow it. And so the kingdom of heaven is likened unto a man which sowed good seed in his field. But while men slept, his enemy came and sowed tares among the wheat. And he went his way. And when the blade was sprung up and brought forth fruit, then appeared the tares also. So the servants of the householder came and said unto him, Sir, dost didst not thou sow good seed in thy field? From whence then hath it tares? And he said unto them, An enemy hath done this. The servants said unto him, Wilt thou then that we go and gather them up? But he said, Nay. Lest while ye gather up the tares, ye root up also the wheat with them. Let both grow together until the harvest. And in the time of harvest, I will say to the reapers, gather ye together first the tares, bind them in bundles to burn them, but gather the wheat into my barn. We come to the second parable in Matthew chapter 13. Both are farming examples. Both deal with the good seed of the gospel. And both also emphasize a particular point. Would you look this The overall idea and point that Christ is trying to make in this parable is this. Not everything growing in the field is actually wheat. Not every person sat in the chapel tonight is actually a child of God. Not every name on the membership roll is actually a born-again Christian. It's the same thought that was previously mentioned. Christ said as he plants the seed, he's aware that not everybody, in fact only one out of four, will hear the word and receive the word. That's kind of a striking uh, percentage, isn't it? Only one out of four kinds of hearts will receive the word. And then he takes it a step further. Not only that, but not everybody that says they receive the word is actually a child of God. And we're told this little story. Jesus, he speaks in such a way to help us understand things. And he spoke on how this good farmer planted good seed. And the scriptures say that while men slept... 
We assume those men would be his servants. Those are the men that we read about in the next few verses. While men slept, his enemy came and sowed tares among the wheat. Now let me just give you a few, a few sobering truths. A few sobering truths. We have a very real enemy. You cannot believe in a good God. And deny the existence of a wicked devil. It's impossible. We see darkness and wickedness all around us. And unfortunately, we often see it creeping into the church. We may not see it to the same degree that we see it on the television and on the news and in the newspapers. We may not see that degree of wickedness, but make no mistake about it, Satan is so clever, he's not going to bring wickedness in such a wide open fashion into the church. Well, in some places he has when they've gone so callous to accept it all. But he's not going to come in so loudly and flagrantly as it were, so that everybody says, well, look how obviously wicked and bad that is. No, he's going to come at night. Now, some interesting observations here. The Lord Jesus said that his return would be at night when we least expected it. Satan is a copycat. He's a chameleon. He's a mimic. He's always trying to follow. He knows that the Lord Jesus is king of kings and lord of lords. and So he's always trying to follow and mimic and copy his strategies for his own. So he says, I'll come at night when men least expect it. The enemy always enters into the body when the church least expects it. Here's what people say, oh, pastor, you're going away for a few weeks. What if, what if wolves come? No, no, look, don't worry about the obvious times. It's the times that aren't so obvious that we've got to worry about. The times when everything looks like it's going well. The seed has been planted and and look, here come the sprouts coming up and everything looks to be on target and the seed, the good seed has gone into the good ground and everything looks so good and and we're on target for harvest and everything seems to be growing at the same pace and all looks perfectly lush and green. Everything looks well and the servants pat each other on the back and say, we've got a good harvest this year. It's then that we must beware. It is then that we must be on guard. When while men slept, the enemy came and he sowed tares among the wheat and then he went his way. Think about how conniving and wicked Satan is. Can you imagine? Can you actually imagine a farmer going and planting his good seed into his field and going home and all of the servants going to bed that night and somebody that hates the farmer so much coming in the middle of the night with, with tares, that's a, that's a kind of a weed, destructive weed that, that it intermingles with the other plants that are in the field and has a root system that intertwines its roots with the roots of the wheat. Can you imagine how wicked a human being must be that he would come in the middle of the night just for spite to plant some nasty weed to ruin the entire, try to ruin the entire crop? Would you look here for a moment? That's nothing compared to the wickedness of Satan's heart. Satan comes with one desire. He doesn't care one lick about you or me, but he hates the Lord Jesus Christ. 
And he wants to do his best to ruin and taint and mar all that Christ has done and is doing. And he's working hard. He's working while we sleep. The Bible says that our God never sleeps nor slumbers. But also I want you to know the enemy never sleeps nor slumbers. And when you decide to take a break and take your guard down and you decide to take a big deep breath and a sigh of relief and let your hair down and undo your tie a little bit, when you begin to relax, then comes the enemy like a flood. The Bible says in verse 26, when the blade was sprung up and brought forth fruit. I am not a farmer, but they tell me that this particular weed, this tear, is almost indistinguishable from the wheat until fruit time. That's an interesting thought. That the tear in the wheat looks almost identical until the time that the wheat begins to sprout that head of wheat. Then you can tell the difference. Isn't it not interesting that Jesus Christ said, by their fruits, you shall know them. And so it is in the church that there can be seasons when someone, uh, those who the enemy has planted in can grow up next to that which is real and that which is truly a servant of God. They can grow up together and look almost the same, almost identical and sound almost the same and preach almost the same and and to hold the same Bible and dress the same. You give it enough time. Give it enough time. Fruit should begin to appear. The right kind of fruit in the heart of a child of God. And as that begins to appear amongst a true wheat. God's true harvest. Then you'll begin to see that the tares are actually there. And the servants of the householder came to him and said, Sir, didst not thou sow good seed in thy field? Now these, these men understood something. They understood this was not the fault of the farmer. They understood that the farmer had sowed good seed. They knew that. We, didn't you sow good seed? Where did all of this come from? You ever thought that before? <laughs> what happened? Where did it come from? And he said unto them, An enemy hath done Remind you of what Paul told the church at Ephesus. We wrestle not against flesh and blood, but against principalities and against powers and rulers of darkness and high places. Believe me, there is an enemy out there more real than you could ever imagine. And he is actively at work. An enemy hath done this, and the servant said unto him, Wilt thou then that we go gather them up? Here's, look here, here's what normally happens. We begin to see the difference. We begin to recognize as the two grow up together, we begin to see, there goes, there goes the real stuff. There goes the real stuff, the real wheat, the real children of God, the, the real servants of God, and then we begin to see something's badly wrong there. There's some characteristics of tears beginning to show up. There's some bad things I'm seeing there. And our natural response is what? Let me at them. 
Our natural response is let's go into the fields and begin to rip up those tares and get them out of here and we'll show them a thing or two. But I remind you that tares have a unique ability to intertwine their roots around the roots of the wheat all around them. So that if you try to rip up a tear, you will rip up the wheat as well. And Christ in his wisdom said, Nay, lest while ye gather up the tares, ye root up also the wheat with them. Let both grow together. Look at the next three words. Until the harvest. Until the harvest. Now would you look this way for a moment? The harvest is coming. Jesus said the harvest is plenteous, but the laborers are few. And the time of harvest that Christ is speaking of, the end of the world, when he says to the reapers, which he says in another passage, look in this same chapter in verse number 36, he gives a, another uh, another explanation, look if you would please. Verse 37, he said unto them, He that soweth the good seeds the son of man. The field is the world. The good seed are the children of the kingdom. But the tares are the children of the wicked one. The enemy hath sowed them. That's the devil. The harvest is the end of the world. And the reapers are the angels. As therefore the tares are gathered and burned in the fire, so shall it be in the end of this world. The Son of Man shall send forth his angels, and they shall gather out of his kingdom all things that offend, and them which do iniquity, and shall cast them into a furnace of fire. There shall be wailing and gnashing of teeth. Then shall the righteous shine forth as the sun in the kingdom of their Father, who hath ears to hear. Let him hear. Look, that day's coming soon. The day when the Lord Jesus shall come with all his holy angels and shall gather together. He shall take the wheat, separate the wheat from the tares. The tares will be bound up and cast into a fire and they shall be dealt with eternally. And the Bible says the good seed, then shall the righteous shine forth. Have you ever felt like you're not shining quite as much as you should shine. You ever felt like that? I feel that way sometimes. But don't you worry, there's coming a day when we will shine. Amen. We shall shine forth as the sun in the kingdom of their father. Who hath ears to hear, let him hear. And so Christ ends his parable with this. Listen carefully. And there's a couple of applications to be made here, just briefly. The first question that you ought to ask yourself. Are you wheat? Or tears? Has the gospel found its way into your heart? Have you been born from above? Do you have new life, real life? Are your roots digging deep into the foundation of God's word? And are you bringing forth, are you beginning to bring forth fruit? Now don't worry, you might, might be nervous because you don't have the fruit that others may have. The question is, are you growing and is there any fruit? Is there a measure of fruit? Some 30, some 60, some fold. Here's your first question. Wheat or tares? The next application is this. There will be times when we see very plainly that the enemy is trying his best to wreak havoc. 
And the natural tendency is to go in all guns blazing. And sometimes we must wait. We must wait. Some people say sometimes, I've had it in the past, I've heard it before. Don't you see what this person's doing? There are times when we must stay very plainly, very boldly. We are not ignorant. We know what you're doing. There are some times when we must deal with certain things, no doubt about it. But there are also some things that cannot be dealt with. Except by Jesus Christ himself. And may God give us that kind of wisdom and that discernment. To know what we can deal with and what we cannot. May he give us the kind of discernment to recognize there's some fruit. There's the right kind of fruit. There's some bad fruit. Now, look, your job is not to go around necessarily and say, no, I wonder if she's a wheat or a tear. I wonder if I'm sitting next to a tear tonight. That's not your job. Your job right now is to make sure, first of all, that you're right with God, that the good seed of the gospel has found its way into your heart, that you're bearing fruit, that you're growing on track with the rest of the harvest, as it were, and also to be mindful that the enemy is at work. The enemy is at work. Don't be discouraged by it, because Christ told us it would happen. The Apostle Paul said the same thing in the book of Acts, chapter 20. You know the passage. He was leaving Ephesus, and he gathered together the leaders from Ephesus, and he said this, Take heed therefore unto yourselves and to all the flock over which the Holy Ghost hath made you overseers. Feed the church of God, which he hath purchased with his own blood. For I know this, after my departing shall grievous wolves enter in among you, not sparing the flock. How did he know that? How did he know that? Well, he knew it because he knew the teachings of Jesus Christ. He knew that grievous wolves are coming after vulnerable sheep. He knew that. That's predictable. But he also said something else very interesting. After my departing shall grievous wolves enter in among you, not sparing the flock. Also, verse 30, of your own selves shall men arise speaking perverse things to draw away disciples after them. How did he know that? Well, I think he heard that parable of the wheat and the tares. I think he knew very plainly the teaching of Christ that from the field itself, not even from outside, it's not that the enemy, yes, grievous wolves enter in, but also from the midst of the congregation, he said, Shall people arise? And perhaps he even saw it already. Perhaps he could see it already. Of your own selves shall men arise. Maybe he saw it in the way that some men were behaving and acting. They will arise speaking perverse things, meaning speaking something else than than that which he had spoken. Why? To draw away disciples after them. That's the word tear, you know. A tear likes to get in amongst the wheat and get so intertwined, so close, that the wheat thinks he's a wheat. And there's such a bond made, such a connection made, that he can't be ripped out. Because if he is ripped out, it's going to do a lot of damage to that which is real. And he knows it. And an intermingling 
entwining himself amongst the wheat, he's able to gather a great following. Drawing away disciples after them. It's been the same. Look, 2023, you think we're going to have, we're going to have a break from it? If Paul had to write to the church at Ephesus and say, and this is a church that hadn't been around for, for but maybe 20, 30 years. And he's going to say to them, look, there's going to be men coming, rising up from amongst you. They're going to sit tight with you for a long time to gain your trust and your approval. And this, at the, at the moment you least expect it, they're going to start drawing people away to themselves. They're going to start drawing people away to their thoughts and their ideas, which are contrary to that of the rest of the body. And so Paul said, therefore watch. And remember that by the space of three years, I ceased not to warn everyone night and day with tears. What can you do? Watch. Watch. When I was growing up, my mother used to do that to me. I'd be playing outside, and, and she'd knock on the, bang on the window like this, and I'd look, and she'd say. And in a sense, we've got to be doing the same thing spiritually. Watching our own heart and soul, and watching as well the things that are taking place around us, so that we can say with the Apostle Paul, we are not ignorant of his devices. We are not fools. We see what he's doing. Somebody said to me, we started that series in Ephesians on the armor of God, and somebody said to me many, many months ago, they said, boy, you better buckle up because Satan doesn't like it when you start preaching against him. You better watch out. Tonight, I wonder, are you wheat? Have you been born again by the blood of Jesus Christ? Do you know that he lives within you? By the way, just because you're not a wheat yet doesn't mean you're necessarily a tear. So don't worry. I'm not saying that if you've not yet been saved, some of you are seeking, you want to be saved, but you, you, you haven't yet by faith crossed over. But I'm not saying that just because you aren't yet born again, I'm not saying as well that you are a tear. I'm saying you need to be saved. And I do believe that God in his mercy, I, I heard somebody say, be careful because there have been many a goats who ended up being sheep. So be careful because it's possible that God in his grace and mercy can convert such a one. That'd be the ideal thing, wouldn't it? That'd be the most amazing thing. May the Lord help us. May he make us watchful over our own hearts and lives and also over the body. And may he also give us this understanding, give us wisdom, because the harvest is coming very soon. I hope you're ready. Would you bow your head with me in prayer? Our Father, we thank thee that in your wisdom you gave us these truths, so we would have some understanding of what's happening all around us. And we ask now, Father, for a measure of discernment for our own hearts first. Show us, Lord, where we stand with Thee. Perhaps we're one of those four, we are one of those four kinds of soils 
I pray, God, that tonight there be some good ground here into which the seed may fall and bring forth fruit. But if there be others here tonight who are not yet saved, I pray that tonight thy spirit may bring a measure of conviction as they begin to recognize that when the end of the world comes, there are really only two categories. Children of the living God and children of the wicked one. And I pray that that thought may cause some to tremble tonight. And cause them to look unto Jesus Christ. And to cry out, God, be merciful to me, a sinner. May they by by faith look unto the one who paid it all. Who was able to say upon the cross of Calvary, it is finished. Help them to look unto him. Protect our church, Lord. Oh, we do see things from time to time. Give us wisdom, Lord. Help us to watch. Please guide us and protect us. Bless these thoughts to our heart and mind. In Jesus Christ's name we pray.